Every day, for the most part, we make choices about what we're going to eat. I know it seems like a strange way to start a prepared message. Whether we're shopping or picking something up or going through the cupboards at home, we're choosing what we're going to feed on, choosing what's going to nourish us. Sometimes we do well, we cook those veggies, we prepare that salad, maybe we choose some fish or some lean meat. Other times those nachos with cheese, whatever protein you choose, that looks really good and that's good enough. And of course there's always the hot fudge sundae meal. And uh, I've seen a few of you do that. Confession, I've done that too. Now, it's all we want, what we want is ice cream. And we make choices every day about how we're going to uh, nourish ourselves and what we're going to put into our bodies. So what we choose and, um, and what we decide to eat. Now here's the thing. What we choose has consequences, unfortunately. Some good, some not so good. The diets we choose matter. The sources that we choose matter. What we put into our bodies, if you will, matters. Now, I've been thinking about that ever since I read a post by a retired Methodist pastor um, and uh, author, Howard Snyder, who in essence wrote these words um, on, uh, on social media one day. Quote, we maintain a steady diet of 24-7 news, media, and social media, but we snack on scripture. Now, first of all, I totally get the irony of him being concerned about social media and posting this on social media. But maybe that's the whole point, is that we are in many ways consumed by it. We are consumed by the news. Uh, maybe it's hard to get away from. Maybe it's not hard to get away from. We maintain a steady diet of 24-7 news, media, and social media, but, what we, but we snack on scripture. The other thing I want to say is I don't think he's shaming us about reading scripture, whether we read a lot, whether we read it, whether we don't. I don't quite hear that from him. I also don't hear him saying we need to be Bible experts or Bible scholars. What I hear Howard Snyder saying is it matters what we consume, if you will. It matters what we take in. It matters what we put into our heart, what we put into our minds, and what we put into our soul. And for him, um, scripture is important. And for many people, scripture is important. But I can't disagree. I think that even myself, I've often been caught up in, in uh, gorging on uh, social media, 24-7 uh, news, uh, and even my own uh, echo chambers, but yet snacking, if you will, on scripture, on the things that would nourish my soul. I think we live in an information buffet. We pretty much have a wide variety of choices and options. And if you're like me, at a buffet, sometimes you feel like you need to sample everything, or maybe your eyes are bigger than your stomach, just like mine, and I end up not feeling great when it's all over. It's almost like we're engaging in information gluttony, kind of due to our own fear of missing out, which is a real thing. Sometimes it's our, our boredom. Maybe even our own anxiety drives us to find out and know more. And for whatever reason, we've stuck ourselves on this buffet of information, and it's causing us kind of sold indigestion. And it's probably not very nourishing either. So then, if it matters what we put into our bodies and the choices we make about what we eat, with our food and our diet, then it probably matters what we feed our minds and our souls throughout the day, throughout the week, uh, throughout the moments. I want us to listen to what Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, um, to this Christian community in Philippi, starting with 
chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 7. And this is near the end of his letter. Be glad, Paul writes, in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your, keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. The first thing that Paul addresses when he gets to the place, as he's moving toward the place of talking about what we take in for our hearts and our minds and our souls, the first thing that Paul begins to address is this idea of anxiousness. And what I hear Paul saying is anxiousness is real. Anxiety is real. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to admit it's not there. It's a reality for Paul in this letter. It's a reality for those that he's writing to. So I think it's good that we name and that we say that anxiety can be, can be a very real factor in our life. But what I hear Paul saying is, how can we redirect our energies? How can we redirect our focus? How can we redirect our center to the God who is near? That language, the God who is near, uh, is really a language of God embracing our whole life. God is very present. God is right here. God is with us the whole time. God is not far away. God is very near. So Paul says we are anxious people. We can live in anxious times. But the question is, am I going to focus on that which causes me anxiety, or am I going to focus on that which reminds me that God is very near and God is very present? And for Paul, what that is, is a life of prayer. The Quaker Douglas Steer uh, defined prayer in this way. To live the life of prayer means to emerge from my drowsiness, to awaken to the communing, guiding, healing, clarifying, and transforming current of God's Holy Spirit in which I am immersed. That's the kind of prayer I think Paul invites us into. We prayed just a few moments ago for friends uh, in Deep River Friends meeting and around the meeting. Uh, when we pray, we often think of set times in which we bow our heads, maybe fold our hands, maybe don't fold our hands, but we think of those set moments. For prayer, uh, for Paul, prayer is constant. Prayer is ongoing. It is this awareness that God is near. It is this life of communing with God, of, of allowing ourselves to be guided by God, of God's healing, clarifying, transforming presence through what he calls this current of God's Holy Spirit in which we are immersed. Literally, we are baptized into God's presence daily. And a life of prayer is a life in which we recognize that, in which we are aware of that, in which we, we allow that to be the center of our life, Realizing that anxious times are around us, anxious times are present, but to put ourselves in a place of where we are more aware of God than we are of our anxiousness. And Paul then describes the fruit of living this life of prayer. He writes, quote, Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Or as Eugene Peterson uh, puts it in his translation, the message, quote, Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, 
will come and settle you down. It's wonderful, Eugene Peterson writes, what, what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's really what's at the center that counts. Because what's at the center of our life really ends up dictating, if you will, our energies, what we pay attention to, what we focus on, and we'll get, that, we'll get to that in a moment, what we are aware of, what drives us, um, what, what uh, captures our attention. Um, we offer every Wednesday and Sunday evening, um, at least I do, and through the meeting, a Zoom call. We call it our contemplative prayer call. Every, every Wednesday from 8 until 8.30, and every Sunday evening from 8 uh, until 8.30. I started this back in March, uh, when the pandemic first uh, uh, started uh, affecting us in a very, in a very uh, direct way. And I have to tell you that it's become a very grounding experience for me, not just because I lead it, but it's been, a, it's been a very grounding experience for me as a way to sort of what I call kind of flush out all the clutter, all the garbage, all the toxins in my soul that have gathered. And in this kind of environment that we live in, it doesn't take long to gather. And to replace it with the sense of God's presence, uh, to replace it with the promises of God's presence and love and care, uh, to, place it, to replace all of that with the awareness of God's nearness. And often through that, there is a measure of peace. Even if I'm the one leading it, when I come out of it, I often found that I'm much more relaxed. Uh, it's like taking a big, deep breath for my soul and, and, and breathing out everything that is causing me to feel anxious and breathing in life. And that's a way that we get centered, or that's a way that we get recentered. We don't need to be experts in prayer. We simply can take moments throughout our day to awaken or become aware of God's communing, guiding, healing, clarifying, and transforming current, as Douglas Stewart writes, of that presence in which we are immersed. Because as Paul again writes, the Lord is near. I think one of the ways that we can do that is to what I like to say is simply hit the pause button throughout our day. To hit the pause button is just maybe take a few moments to stop what we're doing. To maybe stop uh, what we're about, to maybe stop what we're involved in, uh, to maybe stop and reflect and, and just to take a few moments of quiet. Hit the pause button and remind yourself of God's uh, continual unconditional love for you. Hit the pause button and reflect on God's gifts and God's goodness present in your life. Hit the pause button and offer a short prayer for someone you love or maybe someone God prompts you to pray for in that moment. Or maybe you just simply hit the pause button and take a few deep breaths. Breathe in God's love. Breathe out your stress and your anxiousness. But don't be afraid to just take a moment to pause, to not be going everywhere so frenetically and hard and to be this driven person, but just take a few moments to stop and become aware of the presence of God that is near. Now, Paul doesn't stop at inviting us at prayer. Paul goes on. Paul reminds us that what we focus on matters. So Philippians chapter 4, 8 and 9, uh, verses 8 and 9, read this way. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, and the God of peace will be with you. 
The operative term here is focus. To focus your thoughts on these things, to think on these things, or to borrow Eugene Peterson's uh, phrase, and again, summon it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. William James, the uh, famous philosopher and psychologist, had a term for this. He called it what he, he called it the spotlight model or the attention spotlight. And basically it simply means this. Anything we give attention to, we spotlight. And when we, we spotlight that, it pushes everything else out to the margins or to the fringe. And whatever we pay attention to, whatever we give attention to, whatever we spotlight in our minds and often, which goes down into our hearts and our souls, that is, it's that very thing, it's that very concept, that very topic, that very moment, that very issue that ends up consuming us, that ends up occupying all of our attention. That's why it's called the attention spotlight. And so what William James is really saying is it matters what we focus on. It matters what we give our attention to. It matters where we direct our attention and our energies. Um, and it matters what gets pushed out. If I'm giving all my attention to uh, the 24-7 news cycle, if I give all my attention to something somebody wrote on social media that makes me angry and offends me, uh, uh, if I give all my attention as to how I'm going to get back at them in my response, if I give all my attention to uh, the breaking news, if I give all my attention to all of, all of the, the, the uncertainty in the world, then that's what's going to consume me. If I spotlight that, then that is what's going to be the center of my life, and it's going to push everything else to the side. But if I choose to center on something else and give something else attention, it is God's nearness, God's presence, God's reality through prayer or awareness or the contemplative life, then it makes a difference in our life. And all of, all of those other things end up being on the fringe or in the margin, and God ends up being the center. Now this is more than pop psychology. There is a real contemplative reality about this. And when I mean contemplative, I mean there's a real prayerfulness about this. There is a real centeredness about this. There's an author by the name of Martin Laird who wrote very eloquently on the contemplative life in a book entitled An Ocean of Light. And here's what he has to write about our thoughts and what we focus on. If our thoughts are kind, peaceful, and quiet, turned only toward good, then we also influence ourselves and radiate peace all around us, in our family, the whole country, everywhere. This is true not only here on earth, but in the cosmos as well. When we labor in the fields of the Lord, we create harmony. Divine harmony, peace, and quiet spread everywhere. However, when we breed negative thoughts, that is a great evil. When there is evil in us, we radiate it among our family members and wherever we go. Destructive thoughts destroy the stillness within, and then we have no peace. Again, this is more than pop psychology. There's a, there's a, a deep spiritual reality about what we take in, what we focus on, what we center our lives and our souls around, and how it affects us, and how it affects how we show up in the world. Now, some 
might say this sounds like a total denial of reality, a way of escaping what truly is and all the problems and all the concerns and all the issues and what we need to be concerned about. But I would offer that it's not an escape, but it really is a way of engaging that which is life-giving so that we have life to give back to the world, the world in which we live. And when I mean life, I don't simply mean breathing in and breathing out. I mean vigor. I mean vitality. I mean abundance. Life-giving energy that also translates into compassion and kindness and patience and love and joy and, and generating goodness and even generating solutions and creative ideas and innovation. Doing all that so that we at least have a chance and an opportunity to flourish in this, in this world. I think our world needs our life-giving engagement, and it's going to need it long after the election is over. We need to engage in acts of mercy and compassion towards those in our communities that are often forgotten, struggling, invisible, and without means. We're going to need to engage in constructive conversation that will be necessary for folks to come up with creative solutions for the challenges we face. We need to engage life with a generous and generative presence that raises this level of discourse to a place where common ground can be reached and good things can happen. We are generating good things and we are generating solutions. I think we're going to need to engage life prophetically and with humility where necessary in order to do justice and to partner with God in putting things right in our world. And we're going to need to engage in nurturing a very healthy way uh, that the relationships in our life work so that we bring healthy structures to our world and to everything that we do. And that means friendships, and that means family, everything, churches and faith communities and organizations, wherever there are relationships and social structures, social structures we're going to need to engage those in a healthy way. Well, I want to close with this. Three words, practice, practice, practice. And this is how Paul closes uh, the section of scripture that I just read. Practice these things, Paul writes. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. See, in a practice-based faith, we aren't just seeking to become better people of faith or better Christians. I think we're seeking to become better humans. Something wrong with becoming a better Christian. It's not wrong with becoming better people of faith. But there's a lot, a lot of good in becoming simply better humans. And I think our world needs for all of us to become better humans. And when we talk about putting it into practice, we're basically putting into practice what we profess. It's letting our lives speak. It's practicing our faith when we're uh, away from outdoor worship, or we're not watching this video, or we're not reading a book on how to strengthen our faith. It's putting it into practice every day in the small ways and the large ways, in the mundane ways, in, in the extraordinary ways. Someone who wants to learn a skill, who wants to be uh, proficient at an instrument or uh, in, in something in which they create, or even a sport, or if they're going to run uh, a marathon, they just don't start the next day or that day. They put in time of practice, and as they practice, it just becomes a very natural part of them. And we watch them, and we think that they are just uh, excellent in what they do. We don't realize all the practice time that has, that has gone, in, um, gone in before that. But when we practice, it becomes just sort of natural in our life. And so when we practice 
and engage in spiritual practices every day, we end up just basically living a very natural life of becoming better humans, better people of faith, uh, putting into practice what we know and what we believe. So I'm going to suggest these practices. Practice hitting your pause button and making space to reconnect with God and all that's right, good, and beautiful in your life, as well as maybe practicing moments of giving gratitude and thanksgiving. Practice focusing on that which is life-giving and institute, if you will, maybe a personal fast from media, from news, from social media, and the 24-7 deluge of breaking news. And if you don't fast from it, at least budget your time with it. You know, we budget our finances, we budget a lot of things. What if we just simply budgeted our time with news and social media? Yeah, engage with it, but then put boundaries around how often you're going to spend time with it. Practice responding and choosing emotionally mature responses instead of always reacting to something someone says, writes, or something someone posts. In other words, practice being silent and not having to have an opinion on everything or sharing your opinion with everyone. Practice loving your neighbor with practical acts of love, serving, listening, common courtesies, acts of kindness, and acts of civility. Practice being patient with those that annoy you. Practice being forgiving to those that have offended you. Practice reconciliation with those that differ from you. And then practice feasting on that which lifts your soul. Whatever that is for you, inspirational reading, reflection on scripture, regular worship, reconnecting with creation and nature. Every morning I try to read about 10, 15, 20 minutes of something uplifting, inspirational. Usually it's something I have uh, there around the house in my, in my study at home. Um, but it's something that feeds me, it's something that motivates me, it's something that encourages me, and, it, and it's a practice that I, that I engage in to get my day started off in a right frame of mind, in a right frame of soul. So whatever works for you, practice feasting on that which lifts your soul. And finally, practice imagining what you would like this world to become. And then practice seeing how you and I can contribute to this flourishing vision and make it a reality.